This is now the third uh, session or third installment of our series called Foundations, which is a, just a look uh, into what we really believe, where we belief really comes from. And just like the other times, uh, we have this impossible task, which is uh, to try to describe in 30 minutes or 35 minutes, try to describe who Jesus Christ is, to talk about who Jesus is as we believe or what we believe about him. And there's just no way, there's just no way we can, we can wrap ourselves all the way around this. And to be truthful, a lot of this sort of seems to be front-loaded. Uh, in fact, I would tell you there's a reason for that because our theology, of course, first of all, has to rest on who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. That's where a foundation has to rest. And so we're going to find lots of things we're going to have to talk about. And then as we go on with the rest of the series, we're going to be tying back and looking back lots of times and trying to, to, uh, to incorporate back in again some things that we already heard before, uh, because all of the things we're going to talk about later are really kind of always going to come back to who God really is, who Jesus really is, and what he's really done. Uh, just again, as, because I want to do it, uh, I want to make sure we just uh, read it for you. I'm just going to start this morning again. You had these copies uh, in your mailboxes. There's more back there on the, the shelf if you don't have one uh, anymore. Uh, this is a minor part of the, of the sermon, but I want to read what our official statement of theology says. And this is sort of one of those things that is full of big words and full of all kinds of statements, and they come really fast. And so this is really what we're doing is trying to pick this apart and say, what does the Bible have to say about this, and do I really believe it. Here's what it says about Jesus Christ, the second article. Jesus Christ is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the triune Godhead, the eternal word and divine Son of God. Before his incarnation, he was eternally with God the Father and was God. In regard to his humanity, he was miraculously conceived of the Holy Spirit without a human father, was born of a virgin, took on true humanity, and thus was fully human and fully divine. In his incarnation, he lived a perfect life on earth and revealed the invisible God perfectly. He gave himself in death upon the cross as a substitutionary and propitiatory, propitiatory sacrifice for the sins of the world. See what I mean about big words? Apparently, when you talk about what you believe, you have to use big words. By, I'm sorry, I should just keep on reading. Because now I interrupt myself in the middle of a sentence. He gave himself in death upon the cross as a substitutionary and propitiatory sacrifice for the sins of the world by which he paid the price of redemption, thus satisfying both the righteousness and the love of God. I'll interrupt myself again. It's really bad. I'm really bad at this. This is why it takes me 45 minutes to get through a message. But I was struck by that this week. And I, don't, I would just, I just, I mean, you could take, probably most of this next week, and ponder how Jesus' death on the cross satisfied both the righteousness of God and the love of God at the same time. He was raised from the dead, glorified in the body in which he had suffered and died, ascended into heaven, is at the right hand of the Father, and makes intercession for us. He is the only Savior and Lord of the church and the universe. That, my friends, is what we have to cover. Not an easy task. Let's jump in. I'm going to read. Well, let me put my first slide up here because I want to start there with the fact that uh, everything we talked about with God the very first Sunday 
is true for Jesus. So all the attributes we gave to God are true to the fullest extent for Jesus himself. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews starts off this way. By the way, I could probably preach this message and simply just read the book of Hebrews to you because that's what the book of Hebrews is really all about, is talking about who Jesus is. Just front to finish, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to start with, with the first words from the book of Hebrews because that's a great way to start us off. He says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now that's a loaded sentence right there. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, of course, the book of Hebrews is going to go on in just excruciating great detail a long time ago. I think one of the first books, well, I think I did James first, but maybe the second book I preached through here at Riverview when I, was, uh, when I became full-time pastor here uh, was the book of Hebrews. So if you were here back then, I taught through the book of Hebrews, step by step, week by week, and it's great. Maybe I'll do it again sometime. Uh, there's a lot of other books to cover first, but maybe I'll do it again sometime. We'll see. God spoke through Jesus. God revealed himself through Jesus. And one of the first big questions I think that we should ask ourselves or wrestle with is this question right here. This is the thing that has hung up humanity uh, on both sides of the, of the equation for years and years and years and years and sometimes still does us today. This question right here. Was Jesus divine or was he human? I'm asking it that way right now. You probably know where we're going to end up, but I'm asking it that way right now because for most of our human-sized brains, this is sort of where it has to come down on. Was he divine or was he human? And I can tell you there have been heresies on both sides of the equation that have differed in which way they answer that. In other words, they dropped the one and said he was completely divine. And they make things, everything spiritual. They, nothing has to do, not, the, the flesh doesn't matter. Anything. And then they go on the other side and they say, well, he was completely human. And they say he was just like us and in fact we can be just like him. And they make themselves little gods. This is a question we have to go to scripture for and say, what does scripture have to say about this? Was Jesus divine or was he human? Well, you may know the answer, but let's read Scripture anyway, because that's what needs to inform us of our answer. I want to begin in the book of Colossians. One of my very, very favorite passages, actually Colossians is one of my favorite books, but one of my very favorite passages, because it talks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is six verses, verses 15 through 20, Colossians chapter 1. You can open your Bibles. You should open your Bibles if you have them with you, and read along with me. It's going to talk about Jesus. He just said in verse 13 and 14 that uh, God has delivered us and brought us into the kingdom of his son, his beloved son, whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So when he says he, in verse 15, he's talking about Jesus. So all these next six verses are about Jesus. And there is one little three-letter word that is repeated. I, that's not quite fair, because one time it's not the three-letter word, even though it's the same Greek word. But one little three-letter word that's repeated eight times in these six verses. See if you can pick it up. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, which by the way is the same thing, that in all things he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. By the way, just a little quiz here right away then. What was the little three-letter word that you heard? You actually heard the three-letter word seven times that I read, and the eighth time I told you what it was. So what's that word? All. What does that tell us? I mean, in short, if I could summarize what Paul is trying to write, is he's trying to tell us that Jesus Christ is everything. He is everything. Look what he says. Well, he ends it with this. He says, in him, all the fullness of God, every part of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. In other words, look at what he's trying, he, he pulls it back to creation. We just spent last week talking about the one who created, right? That's God. So what Paul is doing, he pulls it back to creation to say, I'm telling you, Jesus was divine. He was God. Everything, God, everything of God was in Jesus. That's who he was. We could also turn to the Gospel of John, right? I think I've probably read these words before, but the Gospel of John he begins his gospel this way. And you, maybe somebody can quote these words for us. Is there anybody that can quote John 1, 1 through 3? Somebody can quote it. I'm sure you can. In the beginning. How's the rest of it go? In the beginning was the word. That's right. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. Once again, go back to creation. For we have all, if we're believers, this is our theology. If we're believers, we have all understood that creation came from one source. Right? Creation is God's creation. He created. He is the creator. He is the one who did these things. So every time in Scripture when it ties Jesus back to creation, it's doing one thing for us. It's telling us that Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Jesus belongs in that same category as God himself. I should put this up here because I read it to you. You guys said it for me. In the beginning, whoops, now I went two times. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So far, if we're on our scale, divine or human, we tend to be leaning this way, right? Because everything I've read to you so far is Jesus was divine, right? But then if you keep reading in John, you already saw the verse, so I'll just put it up there. If you keep reading in John, he says this very clearly. He says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now there's something different for the divine is different from flesh, right? God is a spirit, right? So when you say that God the Spirit became flesh, now there's a difference being talked about. In fact, if you look in Hebrews, back to Hebrews again, if you look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, so when Christ came into the world, this is what he said, and he quotes a psalm. Sacrifices and offerings have, you have not desired, but a body Flesh is really the word there. Sarx, S-A-R-X. A body, flesh, you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So the writer of Hebrews would agree with John. 
and say that Jesus, who was divine, became flesh. He took on a body. In fact, if you go earlier in the book of Hebrews, I didn't read, I, 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 I kind of jumped over it, but all the way back in chapter 2, he actually says this about Jesus. Listen carefully. It says, therefore, Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Now, who's he talking about? Who are his brothers? Who's he referring to? Us, humans. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sin to the people. Now our scale kind of went the other direction, right? Because those verses clearly talk about the fact that Jesus was human. He became just like us. He was flesh. He himself said, you have made a body for me. You've made flesh for me, God, and I'm going to dwell in it. Here's where we come to what we really believe about Jesus, by the way. It is not a question of or, is it? It is not a question of divine or human. The reality is that or should be an and. He is divine and human. This is one of the things I've told you at the beginning. Here's another one of those things. I, maybe you're different than I am. You, quite possibly, you're a lot smarter than I am. But this is one of those things that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. How can we say that he was this and this? Because to us, that's impossible. That, that's, a, that, that, that's a divide that can't be covered. Divine is one thing. Human is completely something different. It can't be, it can't be brought together. And I would tell you, it can't be except for with God, nothing is impossible. It is the beauty upon which our faith rests is that that's an and and not an or. Everything up until Jesus was an or, either divine or human. He brought the and, right? He brought the and. He said, now the divine will become flesh. In fact, if you read other verses around Jesus, about Jesus, you're going to recognize how true this is. And you probably already know this, but again, we're solidifying what we believe about Jesus Christ. When the angel came to Mary, his earthly mother, and told him that she was going to give birth to a child. In Luke 135, listen to what, he, what the angel said. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because of that reason, remember, she was protesting. She said, I've never been with a man. How come I can have a baby? Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Notice both are present there, right? The child that will be born, physical, body, human, body, the child that will be born will be what? The Son of God. Will be holy. Will be the Son of God. I know I did this probably too much the other week, but if I can point out to you again, even in this verse we have a reference of the triune God. Do we not? For the Holy Spirit will come rest upon you, and a baby will be born, Jesus and he will be the Son of God, the Most High. We have all three present. Again, verses we well know in Philippians when Paul is saying, hey, if you have received any, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's anything that's you've, you've, happened in your life that's good because of God's love for you, if you've ever felt the Holy Spirit working in you, he said, then I just complete my joy by having that same kind of interaction with each other, the same kind of love for each other, the same kind of participation with each other. And he says, I can tell you this, it doesn't come naturally to you, I can tell you this, that you need to have the mind of Christ when you do that. And here's the mind of Christ. 
And we see the same thing we've been talking about the whole time. Who, though he was, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, meaning Paul believed that he was equal with God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Paul says the very same thing. He says, yes, he was divine, and yes, he was human. Both. This is the mystery of what God has done, that he broke through and he did what nobody else could have done, what nothing else could have accomplished, because he himself came in human form. I would tell you, by the way, I hope this is what we can agree to theologically because this is what our our entire faith rests upon. Otherwise, you and I are still left in a system where we have to appease God in some way by what we can offer to him. Last I checked, and if you would just do a quick inventory of your past life, that's not going to happen, by the way. Right? So, Jesus became flesh. This, by the way, is why we exalt him. This is why he's the king of kings, because he left. He did not consider that equality something to be grasped, but he left and he humbled himself. That's, that's what Paul's going to go on to say, and there's verses there, but he says, because God, Jesus did that, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place, given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, whether it's in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became flesh. Let's talk about Jesus as the flesh because there's a lot of things that Jesus uh, did that we have to learn, that we have to say, this is what I believe about Jesus when he was incarnate. That's what that word incarnate means, that he became flesh. He dwelt among us. He took on a human form. He was necessarily limited in some ways, wasn't he? For he could no longer be everywhere at once, could he? As incarnate... Here are some things that we know about Jesus. We're going to do the same thing we did last week, by the way. I'm going to have you guys read some verses for me. It's a good, a good way to keep you all awake. It's a good way to keep you engaged in the sermon. And I happen to think it's a really good way for us to, to learn because it gives us an opportunity to hear from each other. Jesus, as incarnate, revealed God. He revealed God to us. Now, I already read that a little bit in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, but... Let's read it from John chapter 1, verse 18, because John said the same thing. Again, you're going to see a little bit of overlap, a little parallel between the Gospel of John and the book of Hebrews. Someone read John 1, 18 for me. Just like last week, once you find it, if you have a nice, good, loud voice, read it uh, to, uh, to us. John chapter 1, verse 18. Somebody, don't be shy. All right. It's kind of a hard word, verse to get through. I, I face the same struggles, Merlin, when I read that verse often, because it's kind of, kind of wordy there. But here's what he's saying. It's pretty simple, actually, And when you get down to what he's saying. No one has seen God. But Jesus, who was sent from him, has revealed him to us, has declared him to us. By the way, when Thomas asked Jesus, Jesus in the middle of teaching, and he's going, you know, these verses, John, John, this is John chapter 14, where he's saying, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and he, he, he's going on. Thomas asked him this question. He said, would you show us the Father? Can, would you just show us the Father? Almost like, if we could just see God, then we'd, then we'd really, then we'd be, we'd be there. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, you see me, right? Don't you know me? If you've seen me, you know, you've seen the Father. Jesus believed that about himself, by the way. 
that he declared and revealed the Father to us. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So, another good reason why we should read the Gospels often. Because we see who, who God is by seeing what Jesus, who he was and what he did. Secondly, I believe as incarnate Jesus, we also realize that Jesus demonstrated obedience for us. He lived a life of obedience. He didn't just do whatever he wanted to. He didn't come and say, hey, you know, you all need to recognize that I made you actually because everything was made through me and you better just recognize. He didn't do that at all, right? He humbled himself. By the way, Hebrews 4.15, someone read that for us. What does Hebrews 4.15 say? Once again, we're going to be in Hebrews. Do you actually believe that verse, by the way? This is, a, this is a study of theology, right? Is this what we believe? Do you believe that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet without sin? Bef- I hope you do, by the way. But I also know that by example of our lives, many times we are caught believing the lie that what I am facing, what I'm undergoing is somehow slightly different, certainly than everybody else and quite possibly even Jesus himself. Now, I know we don't, we're not supposed to say those things out loud, right? Like that, that shouldn't come out, you know, out of our mouths. But by the way we act, we often, feel, we often indicate that we feel that way inside. This verse tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet what? Did not sin. He demonstrated for us, we see in Jesus, the picture of what obedience to the Father looks like. And that's important because we have one who's an enemy. We'll talk about him down the road a bit. We have one who's an enemy who wants to convince us that's impossible. Uh, Let me be careful about how I say that. Because as long as I'm in this flesh, it, it is not going to happen perfectly. But let's not let the enemy have too much ground there. Where we might say, well, fine, I just don't even have to try. Right? Jesus modeled for us. Now, this is not the greatest work of Jesus, by the way. But Jesus did model for us what it looks like to walk obedient to the Father on earth. Was he divine or human? He was both. We have to recognize the difficulties he faced as human Jesus in honoring his father. I believe we see a picture of it when we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's sweating drops of blood, right? Which is, by the way, by the way, the book of Hebrews, do you know this phrase in the book of Hebrews which says that you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood? We often, and I'm not saying this is incorrect, but we often attribute that to Jesus hanging on the cross. I would tell you as likely of a picture as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood as he's in anguish and saying, God, is there some other way? That's the picture of Jesus resisting sin, resisting the lure of temptation to say, can we do it some other way? Can we, can we, can anything, anything else possible would, would be what I want. And yet he continues to come back and say, not what I want, God, what you want. That, my friends, is resisting sin to the point of shedding blood. Have any of us been in so, such anguish yet? Have any of us ever said no to sin, have gone to such great depths to say no to sin that it caused us to bleed? This is why Jesus is the King of Kings. Let's go on. As incarnate, Jesus demonstrated to us or showed us or gave, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. He revealed God, we did that. He demonstrated obedience and he gave himself in death. Which, 
I'm always caught by this. Was Jesus divine or human? He was both, right? But stop and pause for a moment. What does it mean to say that eternal divine God died? God has no beginning or end, right? And yet Jesus died. It's the stunning depths that your Savior went to for you. He gave himself in death. Can you imagine? We struggle. We struggle mightily when we have to do something that's just a little bit below us, right? Like, like just a little bit like not, I mean, I shouldn't have to do that. I'm a grown-up or I'm a dad or I'm a mom or I'm at this level or I'm a pastor or I'm whatever. We struggle a bit with that. Jesus was equal to God and he gave himself in death. Can I say it again? This is why he's the king of kings. I'm going to cover a couple of them. We'll read some scripture here. He redeemed from sin. He purchased. That's what that word redeemed means. He purchased us from sin. Now, there's a lot of things we have to fill in down the road, and we're going to have to do that because we're not going to have time this morning, nor does it fit here necessarily. But we believe that Jesus not only gave himself from death, but he redeemed from sin. There's a, there was a point to his death, and the point of his death was to purchase something, not something, some people, all people. Jesus redeemed from sin. That is to say that there was a debt that was owed. All this is language that's implied in what I'm saying. There was a debt that was owed because of sin. We could not pay it. Jesus paid it. Again, you're going to have to hang on. We're going to flesh all this stuff down as we get to later sections of the, of the series here. But for this morning's sake, he gave himself from death. He redeemed from sin, but he did not stay dead. We sang this in the songs this morning. I'm so grateful that those verses are in the songs that we sing, Right? He was not in the grave three days, and God brought him back from the dead. He raised him from the dead so that he is alive. In fact, if we just went through the book of Acts, you remember that over and over and again, this was in fact the point that the apostles made over and over again to people as they taught about Jesus. Not that he died, but that he was alive. Okay, let's do some reading. Someone want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, a quick summary of what I just said. That's right. Paul is reiterating, this is what I believe and this is what I passed on to you. I believe that Christ came, he died according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised again according to Scripture. That's the heart of what I'm passing on to you. If you want to go in a little more depth, Paul's going to say this in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Listen carefully. His language can be a little difficult sometimes, but it is the story of these things. Jesus giving himself in death, redeeming us from sin, and raised from the dead. But now he says, first, or sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation, that word again, we'll define it here down the road a bit yet, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Lots of language in there. But again, what he said in a succinct two verses in 1 Corinthians 15, he stretches out and digs into that and says, this is what I believe about God, that God sent Jesus and he became a payment for us. He died and became a payment for us, but God raised him back from the dead. If you want to hear a different author say some similar things with a couple of different twists, let me read to you also from Peter. You're going to see a different thrust. This is why I'm going to read these verses too. Because you're going to see a different thrust with his verses, but he's saying the same thing. This is to us now directly, so pay attention. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that is to say divine, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. There's an entire message there. We can't, we can't take time. There's, I would encourage you. you have, that's why I give you the handouts too. You spend time with these texts during the week and just let the Lord keep speaking to you. There's a whole, there's a whole message in that, that, that text and that we just don't have time for it this morning. He gave himself from death, he redeemed from sin, he was raised from the dead, and we also see that Jesus ascended into heaven then. He did not stay here. You cannot go around the earth and traipse around and try to find Jesus in bodily form. He ascended and, I'm just going to wrap this one together with it, is returning for us. These are the things we believe about Jesus Christ. He ascended, notice by the way, Everything up to this point that I have shared has been in the past tense because it's what Jesus did when he was here. Now we're coming to the present tense. He is returning for us. He is returning for us. Someone look up Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Read them out nice and loud for us. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. That's right. Why are you standing there looking? He went there, but he's going to come back. Remember in Colossians, you may not remember this, in Colossians chapter 1, verse about 17, 18, somewhere in there, it says that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. His point there is that he was the first to have a glorified body. So that in all things he might be preeminent, is what Paul said there. Here again, the divide between past tense and present tense, this is his glorified body. He ascended into heaven, his glorified body, and he is going to be returning for us. The other thing he's doing, current state, in his glorified body is this. This is the final one we're going to cover this morning. Jesus intercedes for us. What does it mean to intercede? I'll just ask that question. You can answer. What does it mean to intercede? Someone say it. What's that? Okay, go on our behalf. What did someone say over here? Pray for us. Yeah, to, to step in, really what it means is to step in front of. 
That's what it means, to step in front of, to intercede. Like when, when you're on this path, to come in front. And that actually can take two meanings, by the way. It can either mean to stop the path you're on or to stop something that's coming towards you. You see how that, what that means? And Jesus does both. That's actually what intercession is, by the way. Intercession is to step in front of, to either stop someone or to stop something that's coming towards them. Jesus intercedes for us. Again, let's go to Scripture because that's where we want to find. Hebrews 7.25. We spent so much time in Hebrews. Love that book. Hebrews 7.25. Someone read it for us. Ah, do you ever stop to think about this verse? Jesus is able to save completely. Why? Why is it that Jesus can always, 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 always save you? Because he lives eternally, and every moment of his eternal living is intercession for us. I tell you, I don't, I mean, you're, you may start to look a little sleepy here this morning, but this should blow our socks off. The creator of the world not only died for you and redeemed you and purchased you, but he lives every moment interceding for you so that you might be with him someday. Ha! Amen! This is something we could never, never, ever, ever deserve or dream of or even comprehend fully what that is. He is interceding for us. These verses are perhaps a bit more familiar, but I love them. I want to read them for you this morning. What then shall we say to these things? Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> Talk about a loaded question. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he asks another question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, if God's not going to charge you, then who can? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then here's the conclusion. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am convinced, this is a theological study. I am convinced, I am sure, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What incredible, incredible verses God has given us. What incredible word God has given us to bring comfort to us, to illuminate. I mean, take a look at your handout that you wrote wrote down. This is who Jesus is. He's divine and human. He revealed God. He obeyed perfectly. He gave himself in death. He redeemed us from sin. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's going to come back someday for us. And he, while he's waiting, while that time is waiting, he's interceding for us. I don't know what more we could ask for. I really don't. But I need to make one more point as we talk about Jesus Christ. It is a central theme in Scripture. And it's something we need to get into our deepest core of who we are and say, this is what I believe. Jesus Christ is our only hope. There is no other option. There's no other method There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other potential. There is nothing else. I mean, you don't need anything else, but there is nothing else. 
Not only do you not need anything else, there is nothing else. Let me read these verses to you real quickly in closing here. This is from the book of Acts when Peter and John were first, uh, first to speak. The church was just being birthed and they healed someone and they were being drugged in front of the court. How did you heal this guy? What, what's the name of the, all these things. They say this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they say this. Verse 10 of Acts chapter 4. Let it be known to all of you. I can read that because I can say it to you this morning as well. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, whom this, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is Jesus. This is what we believe about Jesus. I would encourage you. There's far more there than what I could cover today, 35 minutes. I would encourage you. Take time to dig into that. We sometimes take it so for granted. We're Christians. We know what we believe. We take it for granted sometimes. Dig into who Jesus really is and make sure that you believe everything the Bible has to say about who Jesus is. Read the Gospels afresh and say, this is what I believe about who Jesus is because this is the way he behaved. This is what he said. This is what he did. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you so much for Jesus. Oh, it's so amazing, God. We were left helpless. We were left without a chance except for your grace. You came down to us. We say Jesus intercedes for us now, but the reality is he's always maybe in some way been interceding for us. He's been waiting his chance for you to send him, and he comes down in human form. It's a mystery I don't understand, but God, your word says it's how it is, that Jesus was divine, was fully God, and was also fully human. Was, I don't understand how that works, but by your word, I believe it to be true. And I confess that every hope that I have for eternal life rests upon this incredible thing that you did through Jesus. Oh, God, we don't want to be guilty of those who will someday be coerced or will someday be demanded or will someday have no choice because they're in the divine presence of Jesus to fall on their knees before him. We today want to say, Jesus, you are king. You are Lord. Everything was created by you and for you and holds together in you. All the fullness of God was dwelling in you, Jesus, and you came and you paid the price for my sin. You came to redeem me, to purchase me so that I could be free and be with you. And even today, you're interceding for me, and I need that so desperately, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. I need your constant, eternal intercession for me, for I am frail and weak. Thank you so much that there's nothing that can separate me from your love. That I know that I'm always held. That as long as I'm willing to be humble before you and to place my faith and my allegiance in Jesus Christ alone, I know that there's no one to condemn me. There's no one who's going to, uh, who's going to uh, cast judgment on me because you're the one that ju justifies me, God. There's no one that can separate. There's nothing that can separate. And I thank you for the beautiful, wonderful, amazing truth that's in your word. Help us to say now, Father, as John the Baptist said, as we know these things and say we believe these things about Jesus, 
that he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. More love to thee, dear Lord. More love to thee. We praise you and we love you only because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Why don't you stand this morning?